I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Have you heard people talking about a new chip called RISC-V? Well, guess what? It's not a chip. It's more similar to ARM. We have an episode of Know a Little More about ARM. ARM is the plucky alternative to Intel and AMD. Rough and raw and faster. That's because Intel and AMD make chips based on the x86 instruction set architecture, or ISA. x86 is what is known as a complete instruction set computer, or CISC. But ARM is faster. It's more power efficient because it uses a reduced instruction set computer, or RISC. R-I-S-C. But there's always a smaller, more agile, and younger fish about to eat your lunch. And for ARM, that smaller, younger fish is called RISC-V. Let's help you know a little more about RISC-V. First, let's back up and get a little background on RISC itself. As I mentioned, RISC stands for Reduced Instruction Set Computing. To properly explain RISC, we'd have to explain how chips work entirely, and that could end up making this an eight-hour episode. So let's make all the engineers cringe and skip a bunch of steps with the hopes that you'll have a general understanding and sort of get it, even if it's not precise. Now, if you promise not to make too many inferences from these oversimplifications— I'll promise to buy the chip engineers a drink anytime they see me at a bar or juice shop or whatever to make up for it. Just tell me I know a lot more about risk and I'll know what you mean. Okay, so with that in mind, let's define the couple of things we need to know. A processor register, usually just called a register, is a place where the CPU can quickly store some data and perform a quick operation on it and then send the resulting data back to main memory. Registers are kind of paired up with the instruction set, uh, aka the set of opcodes. But just remember registers. They are essential for processing the instructions. Next, a compiler is a program that translates code from one computer language to another. So if you write something in the language of C++, right? It can turn that into machine code. That's what the compiler does. So the compiler translates the code. Got it? You got your register. You got your compiler. Okay, now back to the story of RISC. In 1975, the fastest mainframe was the IBM 37168. It could process 3.5 million instructions per second. 3.5 million. John Koch and team at IBM 
We're trying to build a digital telephone switch that could handle a million calls per hour. That was their goal. And to do that, they would need a CPU that could handle 12 million instructions per second. So just less than four times the speed of the fastest mainframe at the time. Now, Moore's Law is Moore's Law, so they weren't going to get faster hardware any faster than Moore's Law pace. But maybe there was something they could do in the software of the chip to speed things up. Coke's team took advantage of two things IBM had learned from its customers. One, high-performance computers often ran out of processor registers. As you might have guessed, they figured, well, if we can find a way to add more registers, maybe we can improve the performance. Two, compilers generally ignored the majority of the available instructions. They usually just picked the fastest versions. That second was key. Why clutter things up with all these instructions you aren't going to use? Coke's team removed instructions, which meant you had more available registers, which kind of had the same effect as if you added registers, sped up the CPU. Success, right? Well, sort of. The telephone program was canceled in 1975, but it turned out that this reduced instruction approach, they hadn't quite coined the term yet, sped up almost any code. It didn't just work for telephone switches. The theory was implemented as the IBM 801 chip, which was produced as the IBM ROMP, R-O-M-P, in 1981. It was used mostly in peripherals, though it also unfortunately showed up in the CPU of the IBM RT PC in 1986, which was a famous flop. But that's kind of proto-risk. There were two chip architectures considered the direct birth of risk, and they didn't come from IBM. They came from Silicon Valley's top schools, Berkeley and Stanford. It's like an old college football rivalry, except with chips. In 1978, computer scientist Andrew S. Tannenbaum demonstrated that a 10,000-line program could be represented by a simplified instruction set architecture, basically coming to similar conclusions as the IBM team had. So between IBM's work and Tannenbaum's findings, the ground was laid for MIPS and Berkeley Risk, which would both go on to be successfully commercialized. David Patterson's Cal Berkeley Risk project reduced the instructions and added some circuitry to assist the compiler. It also used something called register windows, which limited how many registers a program could use at once. That that made it faster to figure out which registers to use. Over at Stanford, John L. Hennessy led a team that developed MIPS for microprocessor without interlocked pipeline stages. It basically reduced instructions and added registers. The work was commercialized by the MIPS Computer Systems Company, founded in 1984, which is now called MIPS Technologies Incorporated. This time, both the ideas caught on. The MIPS R2000 went on sale January 1986, followed by the HP PA RISC, and the Sun Microsystems Spark processor, a famous one, was based on the Berkeley RISC II system. And of course, eventually, the one most people think of, if they think of RISC at all, the PowerPC, which Apple used for years. One of the most successful RISC ventures was ARM. ARM built its business on selling a license to its instruction set without making the chips itself. ARM makes its money by licensing, as does MIPS. Now, whenever you have a company making money licensing software, you're going to have a group trying to make an open source alternative. For every Windows, there is a Linux. 
And along the way, several efforts have been made to offer open source instruction sets that you don't need to pay a royalty to use. In fact, ARM's first two versions had a public domain instruction set. Those are still supported by the GNU compiler collection, aka the GCC. There's OpenRISC, uh, which has GCC and Linux support, but it just doesn't have many commercial implementations. So, It wasn't particularly unusual that Cal Berkeley's Krista Asanovich decided to spend the summer of 2010 satisfying his research requirement for an open-source computer system. But it was significant that he got David Patterson, remember him, the Berkeley risk innovator himself, to help him with his summer project. Since Patterson considered it the fifth time he had helped make a risk architecture, they called the project Risk 5 with a V, you know, Roman numeral 5, even though Risk 5 actually bears no direct relationship to the other four attempts. They sourced the documents and designs under the BSD licenses, put it out there. There was enough interest in Risk 5 that in 2011 they published the instruction set architecture and later placed that under a Creative Commons license. The upshot is that unlike some open source licenses, this one lets companies change the code and they do not have to contribute their changes back to the main project. It's considered an incentive for a company to try something out. They'll get to keep all the benefits. They can make their versions proprietary derivative works if they want. It's because of this possibility that the Risk Foundation considers Risk 5 a royalty-free open standard, not really open source. Ah, but you're wondering, what is the Risk Foundation? Well, I'm glad you asked. Lots of companies were interested in Risk 5, but they worried about the stability. What if they started building on Risk 5 and then the people maintaining it lost interest? Maybe Arm was safer. So in 2015, the authors and owners of Risk 5 assigned their rights to the Risk 5 Foundation. In November 2019, it moved to Switzerland to avoid any controversy over U.S. trade regulations, and in March 2020 was reorganized as a Swiss nonprofit business association, which is now called Risk 5 International. Anyone can freely use Risk 5 designs and know that an organization exists to keep the project stable. Only members of Risk 5 International can approve changes to the standard, and only member organizations can use the trademark compatibility logo. There are more than 3,000 members, though. They include Intel, Qualcomm, AMD Xilinx, Arduino, NVIDIA, NXP, Huawei, Meta, Google, Alibaba, Seagate, Tencent, Samsung, Siemens, Sony. Actually, you know what? It's probably faster to just note that Apple and Microsoft are not members. Pretty much everybody else you're going to think of is. In its first 10 years, RISC-V has been used mostly in embedded applications and microcontrollers, but that is beginning to change. In fact, the first RISC-V laptop, called the Roma, was shipped by Alibaba in October 2022. And in August 2023, RISC Foundation members Qualcomm, NXP, Nordic Semiconductor, Infineon, and Robert Bosch set up a company in Germany to commercialize RISC-V-based products. They're placing their bets, starting with cars and Internet of Things, but they don't intend to limit themselves to those if things go well. While most companies who want a risk architecture will probably continue to rely on ARM, those who want the freedom to change the architecture, which ARM's licenses generally don't allow, may try RISC-V. 
And whether it's the Qualcomm-driven company or someone else, there's an appetite for a more affordable RISC-V-based product to give companies an alternative to ARM when they want faster, low-power RISC chips versus the traditional power-hungry and, frankly, more expensive x86-style chips. In other words, I hope you know a little more about RISC-V. Know a Little More is available without ads to direct supporters at patreon.com slash more. It was researched, written, and hosted by me, Tom Merritt. Editing and production provided by Anthony Lamos and Dog and Pony Show Audio. It's issued under a Creative Commons Share Attribution 4.0 international license. Dog and Pony Show Audio. 